You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Hi, folks, and welcome to episode 15 of the Let's Talk Photography podcast. I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts. This month is obviously the Christmas month, so we're going to have a festive show. And joining me are my two festive Christmas elves from the United States of America. We have Antonio Rosario. Hi, Antonio. Hey, Bart. Happy holidays. Thank you. And the same to you and to all the listeners. And also Mark. Uh, hi, Mark. Hello. Happy holidays. And because you said it's festive, I wore my elf shoes today. So we're ready to go. <laughs> Well, I'm in a festive mood. I'm very old-fashioned. I don't put up the Christmas decorations till the day I finish work. And so I finished work yesterday, so I spent today turning the house into Christmas. So I'm in that kind of mood. There you go. Um, so given that it's, you know, it's a family time of year, I mean, you, you guys have been at it a bit longer because you have Thanksgiving to start ye off on that. But for, for us Europeans, it's just getting started now. And it's a time of, you know... A lot of family stuff, so you probably want to capture family events, and also a time of decoration, so you probably want to capture the the spirit of a place at this time of year. And in the Northern Hemisphere, not so much in the Southern Hemisphere, but in the Northern Hemisphere, a lot of snow. So I thought we should try to touch on capturing all of those things and try squeeze that into an hour. So how does that strike you? Sounds like a good plan. Yeah. I'm not sure we'll make the hour, but we'll give it a go. <laughs> Uh, let's kick off actually with a listener question. And just a reminder that if you ever have a question, you can go to lets-talk.ie forward slash photo queue and submit your own questions. Um, but we have a question here from listener Klaus from Germany. Uh, Mark, could you kindly read it out? Because I don't read it out loud. Absolutely. So the question is this. Uh, whenever I take a picture of my six-year-old and she is aware of the camera, she'll go stiff and have a fake smile. She so desperately wants a pretty photo of herself that it completely takes over. The best shots are those that I, can that I can sneak of her, but those aren't always blessed with the best composition. So, calling all parents, uncles, aunts, etc., how can I help my six-year-old to forget that there's a camera and just smile at the bloke behind the camera, a.k.a. dad, as she normally would? I don't have any kids, so I'm not really the perfect <laughs> neither, person to ask myself. I. <laughs> I hang out with kids during the holidays. I don't, I don't have any, but... Uh... You know, the first I, thing that pops into my mind, I'm sorry, I was going to just jump nope, in. Go just yeah, as yeah, a go. quick thing. It's like, you know, remove your face from behind the camera. Um, this comes from, like, my my experience of street shooting. It's like I spend most of the time with the camera around my neck or at my hip or something mm -hmm. like that. And I'm kind of never hiding my face behind the camera when I'm shooting people. Mainly because I don't want them to see that I'm taking a picture of them. Um and, you know, I just want to get them in their natural way so they're not seeing that I'm taking a shot of them. Yeah. Shot of them. So, you know, some of this might actually work when, um, when you're photographing children or people who don't, you know, who suddenly act differently in front of a camera. Um, it's just going to take practice because you have to figure out, you know, how to frame it and stuff like that with not looking through your camera. And, of course, it could always help if you have one of those cameras with the bendy um, LCD Screen. I was just going to say, with an articulated screen, I guess you could almost use it like a, one of those old brownie cameras where you could sort of look yeah. down at it. And yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of would recommend that because then you can see, you know, what's going on and, and everybody can see your face and you're not just sort of using the camera as a mask and, and hiding behind it. So, 
that's no. My, yeah, my my suggestion. It's actually posted in our Google Plus group. So my suggestion was use a bigger lens and hide. But I'm not sure how practical <laughs> that is. <laughs> yeah, because if you're not close by, they're probably not paying attention to you. Is therefore they can be doing their own thing, and you can get a, a candid shot from afar. But that may only work if you have a big enough space, and you're going to be a bit limited in composition and stuff, I guess. That was going to kind of be my suggestion, um, but you may not, you're right, you may not have the space, but similar to that is to, uh, to I think, bring in a helper. Um, have, somebody, have somebody else uh, over your shoulder or off to the side or whatever so that uh, the, the child is not focusing on you and the camera, but they focus on whoever, it el- whoever else is there or doing whatever. It's not quite candid, but it sort of becomes candid in, in that their attention is somewhere else. And then you can position yourself in a way that, you know, takes advantage of the light or takes advantage of the composition or gets a good background or whatever. And, and you have your helper then distract them and get the reactions that you want. That uh, I'm not working with a six-year-old, but I'm, I'm learning a little bit more about shooting kids, shooting my grandson. And, and I'm finding that that's, that's kind of the trick which is uh, not necessarily have be me and the child working together, but have me somewhere else and have somebody take pictures of them interacting with somebody else as opposed to interacting with me. And I, I get better shots that way. Cool. You, you know, the other thing I would add, and I think this is for all the time shooting kids and people, I don't, Tom and I, in one of our switch to manual classes, we, we taught, some people had to take pictures of their kids. It was a free class that we gave in a coffee shop, which was a lot of fun. So we had a few moms come with their kids. And one of the tips we gave out was like, you know, it's really good when you take pictures at the child's level, like mm. getting down onto the ground, sitting with your legs folded as long as you can. <laughs> yeah. And um, I think you then might get a different interaction with the child um, and the camera. So, you know, get down on all fours, get down on the ground, because so often we're looking at the kids from standing up and looking down, and and I think getting back down to their level, you might be able to get some really great style photographs from their point of view. The other thing I was going to say, and this would this would this is going to be true of uh, being in the house uh, during any kind of uh, family event or whatever. Um, it, it's particularly nice that that digital is free and and you can take as many pictures as possible because I, I think burst mode is maybe your friend here. Um, worry about sorting through it and finding the good picture later. I think that uh, particularly if talking about Klaus's question directly, and mm-hmm. if the kid makes the fake smile or whatever, uh, maybe take a few other pictures before or after. So a lot of times it's you can catch before or after and get that image and, and then throw away the, the fake smile one. They don't need to know that you're taking more than one picture. Um, and, and that's going to be true also, you know, taking pictures of people, family or people opening gifts or whatever. Um, if, you, if you think that you're going to hit the shutter at exactly the right moment, um, you're going to miss a lot of pictures, I think. But if you sort of just burst around the, the situation when you think that there's going to be a good moment to catch, uh, you, you might be more likely to get it. Now, so if, if you have a DSLR, they're going to know you're taking a picture because they're going to hear mm-hmm. that. Chunk, chunk. Mm-hmm. But if you don't, if you have a mirrorless camera of some sort, maybe turn off the beepy noises on, on the autofocus and then you can really be an awful lot more stealthy. 
Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and you can tend to take a lot. The, the mirrorless cameras tend to shoot nice burst modes. They do really well. My new Fuji does that really nicely. Yeah, and quietly, too. That's the nice thing about the mirrorless cameras. If we expand the topic out a little, so leaving aside six-year-olds and just concentrating on getting pictures of people at the family gathering that don't look like deer in headlights sort of shots. Any, any thoughts on that? Because, you know, it's probably not very bright wherever you are at these kind of gatherings. And so the temptation is to pop up the flash on the front of your camera and then proceed to take the most flat and icky pictures of all of your relatives who won't like themselves in any of your pictures. So what can we do to counter that problem? So which problem are we talking about? The light problem or yeah. the composition problem? Because... Maybe start with light, because that, that, that is, I think, the single most you know, annoying one is that light is your friend as a photographer and there's very little of it present. Right. So, help? Because I need help with this. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so, if you're looking at me, I can see the. the well, I, I have something to throw in, but I don't, I don't like going first. So. Um, boy, you could do, we could do a whole episode on just flash photography. Um, okay. Right. You go down the flash route, and I'll come back and go down the avoid the flash route. Oh, I'm going to go down. Oh, I'm going to go to the flash route. Oh, no. Well, you don't have to. <laughs> Whatever you're going to do. No, it's, it's. Wait, wait, wait. It's, but I need help with the flash. I want to make sure that somebody answers the question of the flash route because I just bought a new off camera flash and I want to I want to use it at Christmas. So I need I need somebody to tell me how. So so the the <laughs> the quickest thing, without going into a lot of detail, is that you know bouncing bouncing the flash off of some surface so that a ceiling, is perhaps given well a ceiling house. or a wall uh, generally would be helpful if those. Um, those um, surfaces are white or at least in the white department. Uh, you don't want to bounce a flash off of a red ceiling because oh, you're going to get, you know, red light. red light, just like the sirens that are going on outside. A lot of red light. Um, but, you know, bouncing a flash and people will tend to think that you want to bounce off of a ceiling and, you know, that's okay to do because you'll get, you'll flood the room with light. But what ends up happening is that you get a little bit of um, sort of that ghosty shadow under people's eyes. And people, especially with, you know, sort of big brows, are going to have shadows under the eyes. So yeah, if you bounce only off of the ceiling, you're going to get this, this, these sort of shadows in the neck, under the eyes, under the nose. It may not be pleasing. Um, so sometimes you can bounce off to the left or right. People don't think about doing that, bouncing off a wall to your left or right. And then this um, and then you, is why flashes have such wobbly heads. Yeah, they usually spin around. Um, so and sometimes you can you can you can buy a flash with a with a cord and just take the flash off the camera and point it at a surface if you can't if they don't have the spinny heads. But often, if you bounce off of a wall on the side, you'll get some nice side lighting, and it will look a little bit more natural, I think. But again, this is one of those things you want to experiment before with because flash is really hard to. To wrangle, um, and some of the cameras, some flashes have a little fill. Actually, what you could do if you bounce off the ceiling, here's a little trick that I used to do: is you you don't point the flash straight up. You point it sort of at a forty five degree angle to the ceiling, mm -hmm. and then you tape a white business card to the back end of the flash. So right. uh, it's hard to describe it 
in words. But so some so of the light goes it, forward. So some of the light, you know, uh, the majority of light goes up to the ceiling, but then a little bit bounces off this card and goes straight at your subject to help fill in those little shadows that I was talking about before if you bounce off the ceiling. Um, so if we were to be looking at this, the the lens of the flash would be pointing at a 45-degree angle towards the ceiling, and the business mm-hmm. card would be at the back of that facing the subject. Exactly. And it would be kind of, kind of a V look. Exactly, yeah. And, you know, it could be a business, it could be any little white card that you have, and you just scotch tape it to the back. I mean, it's real hobo, but... Yeah, if it works. It, it works. And it's certainly a much, even if you're bouncing off the ceiling or bouncing to the left or the right... It, it is much better of a look than if you point the flesh directly at the person. With right, because you're, you're getting the lights bouncing off the card, so it's not going directly at the subject. You're still getting some bounce yes. that way. Some light so goes into the card. The majority of light goes to the ceiling, so you, you fill the room with light. Um, again, you know, depending on your shutter speed, because you can always change your shutter speed on your camera. The flash is not dependent on your shutter speed for the most part. So if you've got some Christmas lights or a tree mm-hmm. in the background and you want to catch that, if, if you lower your shutter speed, um, what that will help the camera do is pick up some of that ambient light. So, oh, so darken it back so that you're not blowing all that out. Exactly. Dark background. Yeah. Cool. Right, because if you raise your shutter speed too high and you take the flash shot, the, the room will be full of light. The people will probably be lit nicely. But the tree and the lights will not have had enough time to expose. So you'll want to, you know, um, open up that shutter. And you often will get a nice shot. You get some ambient light in there so you can get some of the Christmas tree lights. And you can fill up the room with some light, too. Cool. Sorry, that was long-winded, but... uh, No, no, that's good. And I I don't do the whole flash photography thing. um, Partially for financial reasons and partially because I've never been very successful with it. Um... But I believe that if nothing else, if you can get the flash off the camera, that looks much better, even if you just hold it in your hand. Am I correct in that? Uh, yeah, you, it, it's a little tricky to do that because you're, then both of your hands are... You have to make sure that the hand with the flash is actually... You're, you're pointing that flash at something that you're intending to point at. You're fading people, in the right direction, at least. Well, yeah, because some people get very excited and they're, they're, you know, they'll be looking at the camera and they won't be paying attention to where the head is on the flash and so they'll be pointing at the floor by accident. So it's, again, it's one of those things you just have to be aware of, but yeah. That's when you incorporate your, uh, photography, your second assistant, right? To have them hold the flash. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to make a, make a production of this. I was going to say, if it's a family event, you may find plenty of volunteers. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Could I suggest something? (laughs) Ooh, ooh, ooh. My a little bit more advanced, but mm, you know, maybe not. Um, you can always set up a flash on a stand in a corner someplace and have it point at the ceiling and then be able to set off that flash remotely um, via your camera. There's many different ways of doing it. But this way you don't have the flash directly on the camera and you have this flash that will fire off when your camera fires off that will fill the room full of light. And you can do that several ways. Some cameras are able to control flashes remotely through their system like a Nikon will have... Um, the cameras will have a little pop-up flash, and those can be used as a control to control an off-camera flash. It's called. Well, so the, the other flash is looking for light, and when it sees light, it has at it. It does, yes. Oh. And um, a Nikon is called a creative. I think it's called a creative lighting system. And Canon, I'm sure, has a similar thing. I'm not sure if it uses line of sight or 
Canon does. Canon does in its line of sight, sort mm -hmm. of. Um, it's not radio, and uh, and that's what mine does. And you can actually um, the the on camera flash will trigger it, but you can actually tell it to uh, so that the on camera flash doesn't flash, but it does trigger the off camera flash. Right. Right. So that little yeah. pop up flash in the front of your camera is not contributing to the light in the picture. But the light is being used to – actually, that's how the Nikon works. It, it sends pulses of light very fast that you can't see to the off-camera flash. Oh. And then you can even change the, the amount of light that the off-camera flash is doing from your camera because um, it will send out these little pulses of light that will tell the flash to you know, increase the intensity of the light or decrease the intensity of the light. Right. And it's then actually you, metering. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then there are – Devices that you can buy, Pocket Wizard is one company that makes them where you, they're wireless, so they're not line of sight, but they're transmitters and receivers. It's getting a little bit more involved, but it's actually not that more involved. I mean, uh, these things go into the hot shoe, is it? Yeah, you have a transmitter on your hot shoe of your camera, and you have a receiver on your flash, and you, you put that flash in a corner someplace and point it at the ceiling or whatever, and then every time you fire off your camera, it transmits a signal and fires off the flash. I really like that idea, actually, that you're walking around completely untethered and completely free with your camera, and yet you're commanding the light to appear. That, that's rather cool. Yeah, and you're not blinding anybody with a direct flash in their eyes. Right, because that's, I, I, that's the other reason I hate flashes, is that if you have a flash, people tend to hate you. <laughs> yes. Because I certainly never liked being blinded at a party. Like, oh, thanks, great. Now I look stupid in a picture, and I can't see anything anymore. Cheers. <laughs> um... Any other thoughts on Flash before I go on about the alternative? No. No. Uh, but I do suggest we talk about that at some later because it's, it's one of those things we could probably do two or three episodes on. We, we, sh we should actually at, at some stage in 2015 make that, make that one of our missions because it's something I know very little about and could really learn more about. And so if we can find a good panel of people who know what they're talking about, it could be a very good show. I agree. So the alternative, if you can't make, if you don't want to make more light, is to ensure that you get to make the most out of the light you do have. And um, I'm not usually big on taking pictures of people, but the only success I've ever had in that realm has been with my Nifty Fifty, which isn't actually fifty millimeters; it's thirty millimeters because that's just how it worked out. But an f one point four lens can make something out of almost nothing. So I'm going to pop a picture into the show notes which was shot entirely in a dark room where the only light was coming from the sparklers the kids were playing with. And I shot it handheld at f1.4 with my Nifty 50 lens. And there is actually enough light if, you, you know, if you're going down to f1.4, even in a darkened room, to get somewhere. So I'll pop that into the show notes. But the other advantage, of course, if you're shooting at f1.4 is you get a nice smooth background for free because uh, it's while you're wide, wide open. The one downside is you'd better be really careful about focusing because your depth of field has gone really quite tiny at f1.4. So maybe, again, um, the shooting on rapid-fire mode has its advantages there because you'd probably get it in focus at some stage. Also, also, I mean, the only thing to be careful about shooting wide open is that a lot of lenses at wide open tend not to be that sharp. Yeah. And... 
you, you could stop down like a half a stop or even a stop. So on a 1.4 camera, you could go to 1.8 or even 2. And you could still get that shallow depth of field that you're talking about. And you still have to be careful about focus because you will have a shallow depth of field. But you will increase the sharpness of the picture somewhat. Because, um, yeah. again, most, most lenses don't behave well wide open. Yeah, I mean, you know, when there's actually no lights on, it's probably taking it too far. So if you dial that back to more normal situation where there are lights, then you can definitely get away with, you know, F2, F2.4 or whatever. Yeah, and you can also boost your ISO. Yes, it, yeah, um, depending on how modern the camera is. Yeah. Um, th- this shot, actually, that I, I'm going to pop in the show notes is quite old, and it was shot with my D40, which is not very good at mm, high ISOs. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't go a high ISO route. Uh, well, 800 I went to, according to the EXIF data. So here's my question. Um, looking at Bart's photo and also thinking about maybe holiday photos uh, with you know, the Christmas tree throwing off light or candles or something like that. And, and Antonio, I think you said something, talking about um, flash, you sort of made me think about it then too. When you, when you have kind of these different light sources or particularly something like, well, here the firework or the Christmas light that the bulb is going to be real bright, but generally speaking, the room is going to be fairly dim. How do you balance all that? How, is it is it in metering? Is it in? I mean, obviously, we need a, a fast enough. If we're hand holding, we we need to have a fast enough shutter speed that we're not just going to have a big blur. So, how do we how do we balance that? <laughs> well, if you're not using flash, there's no balancing to it. You expose for the subject, and you'll take the background you're given. So yeah. So the dilemma we're we're having is that let's say a Christmas tree. Christmas tree is a great subject for this. Uh, Christmas tree in a dark room. What's going to happen is your camera. You're going to either going to expose for the lights, in which case the lights are going to look great, little pinpoints of color. Nothing else will be exposed in the room. The tree will be dark. Um, you expose for the tree. And then the lights are going to be um, so overexposed, you probably won't even see the color of them. Yeah. Or you know? we're still end up with big lines that they bleed into neighboring pixels. Well, true, yeah. Uh, you'll have a nice shot of the tree. So, you know, a trick, I mean, tree shots are difficult, and sometimes you have to do some post-processing to, to solve that. Um, if you're in a room that has some ambient light, then, again, you can... Um, expose for I tend to expose for the lights because I want those little pinpoints of color mm-hmm. you know and then when I post process I tend to bring up the shadow areas with which is would would be the tree uh, or any or any ambient you know subject in the room and bring those up in post processing because if you overexpose the lights you're never going to get those back yeah. in post processing you know uh what will end up happening is you'll have a nice tree, you'll have these white lights. It could work. Again, I'm not saying one is better than the other. It all depends on what you want to get. Um, but my tendency is to go for the lights first, to process for the, to shoot for the lights, and then process for the shadows uh, and well, bring those up. Well, what HDR techniques, of course, will help. Hmm? HDR techniques are going to help in on this case. HDR techniques will help if, you, if you're able to do that. I mean, if you're outdoors and you're want, like, if I'm walking around and looking at someone's house and tree it might be a little bit harder to set up a tripod in the street and 
take it. But if you're in someone's house, you might have a you know a better. Well, you can even do HDR techniques with a single row. So. Yes, you can. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. Is like you're processing for the shadows. Ah, okay. How you're processing for the shadows is up to you. I mean, you're the way you're talking, Bart, is that you would make two exposures uh, well, uh, with. I just would, take it into. I take it into the uh, most of the HDR programs will accept a 16-bit TIFF. So you just turn your one row into one 16-bit TIFF, and off you go. Mm. Yeah, you could do it with it, but I would still. I would still tend to expose for the lights. Yeah, you can't put. I, yeah, you can't put blown out stuff back. It's gone. Right, because then it's gone, and even with raw files, you can you can overexpose a little bit, and overexpose is not right, but you know, expose to the right so that you keep some detail. Yeah. Um, but you got to be careful with that because we go too far over on that histogram, you'll end up clipping those those highlights, and you can can't get them back. But the thing about processing for those shadows is that you might get a little bit more noise, but you can deal with that. There's lots of ways of dealing with noise. And the other Potential thing just to, to say again, as Mark has already reminded us, that the joy of digital is it's free to take lots. So bracket like be Jesus. You know, underexpose, overexpose, and then in post you can pick the one that has the best balance. Because you know you might you, you'll probably find that there's one where you've just managed to keep the detail in the lights, but only just, and that's probably your best starting point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's. It's tricky. It's not like just go out with your camera and take a shot. You have to th- really think about the exposure and how to process for it. Um, that's just the nature of that. But if you know, that's what we do. That's our job. Mark, you were trying to jump in there. Well, I, I, I was gonna. I, I know that we were gonna talk. We kind of wanted to talk about Christmas trees specifically, but I was more speaking of the idea of kind of the odd light situation i'm still thinking about your picture bart of of the little boy and the fireworks and uh, sort of the odd indoor situation that we often find ourselves in at the holidays is that it's not only is it low light but we're going to have these odd light sources throwing everything off and and that's where i find that i get myself into trouble and i'm not sure how to it looks like here on this example you did a good job of metering for the boy so that the fireworks are kind of blown out. And maybe it's not, maybe I'm making it harder or maybe I'm making it more complicated than it needs to be. But that was, I, I was kind of focusing on that idea is where I'm, I'm seeing this idea of the kid by the Christmas tree or, you know, mom and dad or whatever. And so you've got this weird light source and people next to it. And how do you, how do you get a decent shot? That That's what I was talking about. Where you've well, got this... Yeah, you've I mean, got a real varied. Yeah, your white balance is everywhere. Well, I was going to say that you know, I would always tend to meter for the people, no matter what, because. Well, they're the subject, right? They're the subject, you know. Right. Uh, like, I'm I'm actually curious, Bart, when the shot with the kid with the mm-hmm. with the sparkler, the camera meter could be thrown off a lot because that sparkler is throwing off a lot of. I, light. I'm a center-weighted person, which I think saved my yeah. bacon. So, being that that being said, you could be setting your camera to a spot meter. Actually, so that you're sorry, always... Antonio, I'm going to correct myself. That I, I tend to shoot on full manual in those situations. Just find, mm-hmm. the, find the exposure for the room and use that. Yeah. Well, and that's what I was. I was kind of hoping that that's what the answer was, and maybe you guys could. I both of you, I think, have a little more experience at this. So, how do I do that? And and you threw out 
both center. You, you, we threw out the term spot meter and center, or spot, spot balance and center balance. Why don't we explain what that is and how people well, might we, find it? Because before we go to that, Mark, yeah, yeah, um, okay. I'm going to break it into two different problems to okay. be solved. So, All right, great. If you're in a room where the light isn't changing, I, my advice would be don't rely on any metering. Take a few trial shots, keep tweaking the exposure till it looks right, and then just stay there. Don't move. It's right. If you're unfortunate enough that the light is changing, then you need to, you probably need help from the camera's little computer, and then you're into metering modes. And so then you're into your question of what's the difference in spot and center weighted. And uh, Antonio, since you teach photography for a living, I'm going to let you take that. <laughs> oh, this is all the heavy lifting. No. Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Well, uh, most cameras allow you to change the way the light meter works on the camera with different patterns. Um, the two that we're talking about are center-weighted, which is kind of old-style, original camera metering, and then there's spot metering. Yeah, I think the older cameras, film cameras, used more of a spot meter. I'm uh, sorry, more of a center-weighted meter. That means that the camera is going to look at the whole viewfinder, and it's going to base its exposure mostly on the center. Uh, the certain every camera has a different amount of the center that it will focus on, yeah. but it's basically going to judge the exposure by what's under a circle that's roughly in the center uh, of the of the frame. And the circle is generally a large circle. Yeah, the assumption being that you're pointing the camera at the thing you want to be properly exactly. So doing that kind of exposure means like you would want to point that circle at the subject that you're going to want to photograph. So in the case of maybe there's a group of people standing to the left of a tree. You'll want to point that circle to the at the people. And most cameras, what we'll do uh, is that you'll touch down the the um, trigger. Um, what am I forgetting? The shutter button halfway. <laughs> I've already started at the eggnog. Um, you, tr- you you shut the um, touch the shutter down halfway, and that locks in the exposure and the focus. And then you can reframe the picture. So once you've done that, you've told the camera, I want to I get the exposure and focus from these people on the right. And yeah. then as you continuously hold down the shutter halfway, you reframe it, and then you can take the picture. And then the camera will take the exposure from where the people were. Or a spot. Sh- shoot too wide and crop later. Exactly. Yes. Uh, a spot meter is, is somewhat similar to the center meter, but it just focuses on a very tiny portion of the frame. And you can do the same thing. It's a much, much tighter circle. Uh, so if you wanted to just focus on one person's face, you could set your camera to spot meter, and the little spot meter will show up in your viewfinder. It'll be a very, very tiny circle, and you point that circle at what you want to expose, and then halfway touch the shutter down, and then reframe, and you'll have an um, a exposure for where that spot was. And just, I hope I've explained it in such a way that it makes sense. Just to sort of to say that, so these two modes are probably, neither of these are probably the default. If you've just picked up your camera and turned it on, it's probably not what it was set to in the factory. So the default, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Antonio, but the default in just about every camera I've ever picked up is matrix metering, they call it, where you take all the light from the entire frame and average it out and then make sure the average is correct. And that's great 99% of the time, unless the thing in the middle is significantly darker or brighter than the average of the frame, and then it's terrible. And that's when you want to flick over 
into either centre-weighted or spot. And I sort of look at centre-weighted as being compromise metering. It's like, I don't quite want to give up on averaging, but I do want something a little bit more focused in the middle. Yeah, I think matrix metering is a little bit smarter than just averaging because I know it's on an icon, it's supposed to be comparing to some database of you know tens of thousands of pictures that that Nikon has programmed into the meter, and I guess what they're doing is like looking at the scene and saying, "How does this relate to some photograph that existed in the past, and what was the meter reading on that?" So it's, it's a little bit more smarter than just an average of the whole scene. Suppose if I if I was going to take a lesson from what you guys just told us, um, I'm guessing maybe I want to. St- if I'm indoors, smaller, confined area, varying light, maybe lowish light, mm-hmm. center metering might be good because probably the subject I'm shooting is going to be there. It's going to, and and that's that maybe maybe give me my best results. Spot metering might be too narrow. Spot metering is probably too narrow. Again, it depends on the subject that you're shooting. Yeah, right. If the but subject if, is far away. The uh, if the subject is very far away. Um, a spot meter might actually help better because it'll be a finer. Right, but if I'm just kind of if I'm if I'm wandering through my house trying to capture moments, yeah. uh, and I don't want to necessarily be flipping all over, or decide, di- deciding shot to shot, maybe leaving it in center metered might give me the best chance of uh, getting the right exposure for those shots in in the household in a lower light. That'd be my strategy anyway. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would agree. That would. I mean, that would be my guess. Okay. Good. Hey, I learned something. <laughs> I, mean, I have I, to say though, I anytime <clears throat> you're working with a camera near its limits, which is what we're talking about here, you know, my first instinct is manual mode, and then if for some reason I can't because there's too much variation, then I will reluctantly fall back to one of the automatic metering modes, but. I I would say that my advice is when you're when you're making your camera stress, maybe you're better off taking control because humans are still smarter than machines. Speak for yourself. Switch <laughs> switch to manual. That's switch to manual exactly. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm. I was waiting pretty, for the phrase. I'm switch still pretty sure my camera is smarter than me. <laughs> well, it's something you know. If you're, it's a bit early for New Year's resolutions, but I would say a good resolu- New Year's resolution for anyone into photography is to uh, make it your strategy to outsmart your camera by the end of the year. I'll write that down too. Of course, everybody's going to get brand new cameras for Christmas, so they'll that's, certainly have their work cut out for them. That's true. That's probably getting smarter. It's probably going to be an easier resolution to keep than uh, the exercise one that I had for last year. So. <laughs> I have that one every year. Some year right. I'll make that's a default. That. That's a default one. Right? I made it to the middle of February. Come on, that's good going. <laughs> the Irish January weather usually beats me. End <laughs> about the second. Um. So, to to, mm-hmm. to that was some very general discussion. Can I? I on talking about Christmas and holidays. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the one of the early things that I some of my favorite Christmas pictures that I've taken, I attribute to Bart and Bart's lessons. So I, I want to share them so people will look at them, but I want Bart to tell us how to do it. Cause I don't remember. So it was the, okay. uh, my, my, my Christmas tree shots. Um, and I, I have two that I really like and I've even used on a Christmas card. So, um, we'll share those out, but why don't you tell us how, how we do that? Okay. So what, what Mark is hinting at here very kindly is something called the Orton effect. 
So this is actually a technique that predates digital by like a hundred years. Yeah, I wasn't crediting you with the okay. uh, with the concept. I was crediting you with teaching me how to do it. <laughs> okay, oh, good. So, so the Orton effect is it's it's a kind of a so when you did it in hardware, what you would do is you would take a piece of film or a glass plate and you would expose it once while the lens was out of focus. Don't advance the film and expose it again in focus, and then you end up with this sort of dreamlike effect where everything is slightly glowing because its out-of-focus self is around its in-focus self, if that makes sense. And if you want to capture the sort of the, the romantic magic of something, then the Orton effect is, you know, you can now describe it as dreamlike or romantic, but it has that weird otherworldly effect. And it's actually quite easy to do in post-processing because instead of it having to expose twice like you do on real film, you take your one in-focus shot, you then... Take it, copy, duplicate itself onto a new layer, put a Gaussian blur on it, and then you basically multiply the Gaussian blur into the original image, and you get the same effect. And so I, I, th- uh, I did up a tutorial for how to do it in the GIMP and for how to do it in Pixelmator, uh, which I will link to in the show notes. But basically, it, either of those sets of instructions will be able to be applied to whatever software you use, because it's using very basic primitives. It's not doing anything particularly app-specific. You basically need the ability to blend layers and the ability to do Gaussian blur and you're in business. Um, I think Alison Sheridan did it using Acorn, which is a, you know, not, not at all known for being a, a high-end photo editor. But you know, again, it's actually quite simplistic, but it's a very fun way to play with Christmassy things. And, and that's what I would say. I would, I would suggest to people, people that are learning photography or messing with photography this is a really fun thing to do and christmas is a great time to do it a christmas tree is a is a really good subject and i've i've done it now a few years in a row and it's it's really fun and i i enjoy it and i've got some nice images that that i want to keep and so if people haven't tried it give it a try it's a lot of fun now as much as i love it for christmas which is a lot actually my favorite orton shot ever was taken in autumn so i'll pop that in the show notes too because the sort of the bright colors of, of, of autumn can, can, can be just as, as much fodder for, for the Orton effect as, as Christmas. Oh, yeah. So I'm, looking at, I'm looking at the pictures, Mark, that you're talking about. The, the Christmas tree, right? The, the uh, shots the of the trees, two, right? two of them, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I like the, one, the bigger one with the fireplace, but yeah. Yeah, and, 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 and that was actually a couple of years later, so I'm, getting, I'm a little bit better photographer when I did that one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as I'm looking at your shots and I, I go across, like you could spend all day uh, photographing a Christmas tree because you've got those macro shots of the ornaments. Yeah. And um, a couple of weekends ago, I went to a friend's house and she had decorated her tree. And I have this brand new Fuji camera and I was testing out the, uh, the macro capabilities of it. And I just realized I could spend all day photographing the tree um, and the ornaments with the macro uh both in the daytime um which is nice because you get the you know she was her tree was near a window so i got a lot of ni- nice natural light and um and she has a lot of handmade ornaments uh and at night when you want to get the lights exposed so you know you could you could certainly shoot a tree with ornaments all day long and come out with a lot of great shots. And then if you wanted to do the, the post-processing you're talking about, you probably could do that too with the macros. Yeah, I and actually... I- um, a, a good friend of mine gave me a beautiful silver Christmas tree ornament, and I spent a lot of time playing around trying to get a nice photo, and it's actually great fun 
to find something small on a Christmas tree and just move yourself so that the baubles give a nice silhouette or, you know, there's so much, there's so much you can do when you're zoomed in that you can really have fun. And I think I, I was going to say those close shots, you can usually get nice reflections or you can have the Christmas lights in the background or like the shot you're showing. And and I'm sure you'll share the, with the uh, out of focus branches or other ornaments. Um, we tend to look at trees big or we tend to look at the big lights, but going in close, really close, getting reflections, uh, that kind of thing is you can get some really beautiful pictures that way. If your baubles are shiny enough, you can actually do a very fun self-portrait as well. I, I've got one. Posted. Oh, excellent. <laughs> can you, can I, you share for the show notes? Yeah, and I'll put it in the show notes. I got it. I, it's me and my wife and I was with my... What camera was that? Oh, I can see it. It's my Canon G9. <laughs> you can see it. And I, <laughs> yeah, and I just I just shoved it into one of the silver ornaments, and we both made smiley faces. And it's a funny picture because in the background on the TV set, we have the Yule log playing. So, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> but and we did it during the day, but it's a day. There's a lot of daylight coming in, but there was enough exposure with the lights in the tree. Um, so it 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 works as a picture. It's a fun it's a fun shot to do. Cool. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'll put those up so you can see. Excellent. Now, one of oh, go ahead. I'm no, sorry, go on, Mark. Go on, Mark. I was I was going to say the I, the other uh, talking about macros and coming in close, but uh, re- referencing back to something that uh, Antonio had said talking about shooting kids, and I'll come back around to that. The uh, uh, lesson that we talk about all the time on the photography shows applies really well here too, which is be creative uh, with your composition, get down low, get in close, look for different angles. um, And you can come up with some really fun and creative shots um, and still keep your Christmas theme. Uh, A a picture I'm using this year for some of my Christmas cards is of my dog in front of the Christmas tree, but I got down right on the floor, right with her, right from her angle, as opposed to shooting far away. I was, I'm right up in there with the packages and stuff behind her. Um, But that was Antonio's advice on kids too. Get kid level. What what do the kids see on Christmas? What are the packages and the lights and all the decorations? Uh, get yourself to their level, um, and and think compositionally that way. Yeah, definitely. Um, before we wrap up this show, I think we should probably move to outside. Um, and I'm going to say apologies to our Antipodean listeners. You guys don't have snow. Um, but as Antonio said in pre-show, uh, you guys have sun, so I guess you don't need special advice about how to take pictures <laughs> yeah. in the sun. Just enjoy it. Just yeah. <laughs> uh, but those of well, I say those of us in Ireland, we do get snow in the winter sometimes. But it's not how often do we get snow in the winter. It's how how many winters have to go by until we get snow. So I think I've I've lived in Maynooth for well well over 12 years now and i think i have had three times where i've been able to go out and take snow pictures and like as soon as i see a flake of snow i grab the camera and run outside uh, to make the most of it but i think particularly where you are antonio i I think you get a wee bit more snow than that we do it'd be okay not to have any this year (laughs) last year we had so much snow it was just one of those crazy winters Uh, what about you mark are you guaranteed white no uh i think that uh it's 
on on the eastern wash or excuse me western washington where i live it is occasional hit and miss uh, we ha- we had our thanksgiving snow and i don't know if we'll see any more in eastern washington they have lots of snow all the time so it's it kind of depends on where you're located so the reason i think we should talk about snow is because as we've already mentioned, our cameras have little brains, and our cameras' little brains get confused by things that are not normal. So it, you know, the, your camera sort of assumes that a certain amount of light is the correct exposure, but if you're in a field that's green-colored, the amount of light that's usual for a properly exposed picture is quite a lot less than if the field is covered in snow. And so a lot of cameras, when you're using the automatic or semi-automatic modes, will give you gray snow. And they may also get the white balance wrong, so it might even be gray-blue snow. But it blue is look... what I always seem like I get. <laughs> yeah, I, I, my Nikon likes blue. Um, but whatever it is, it's almost certainly not right. And so I, I think we should talk about how to make that not happen. Hmm. I'm going to let Antonio kick off, because <laughs> I think you've had more practice than us. Hello? Have we lost Antonio? Or have we lost me? Um, I'm here, so I think we might have lost Antonio. Sorry. Did you laugh so loud you kicked over your microphone or something? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, you're back now, thanks. <laughs> All right, sorry, yeah, I actually pulled the wire out. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> it was... Uh, okay, so... But you can hear me now. Yes, no, you're back to normal. Oh, okay. Well, that's interesting. Um, all right, so, snow. Well, uh, Bart, I think... Part of what you're talking about is is um, uh, like after it snows here, mm-hmm. uh, it tends to be it tends to be a gray day. So um, the the lighting is already overcast, and so you, I'm taking pictures in the snow, and I'm not too worried about the exposure. The camera seems to do a good job. It does turn it out gray a little bit, but you can always boost it in post processing. But um, I think what you're talking about, Bart. A lot of the problem exists is when you're shooting outdoors on a sunny day with snow. After I, I've had it with I, – I, I don't know. Maybe my, maybe my cameras just aren't very good. But I've never – whether it be overcast and snowy or whether it be sunny and snowy, I've never had the white balances and everything come out correct. Really? It's always, yeah, it's always been – if it's overcast, my snow tends to be bluish – well, well, let's skip the white balance thing for a second because you can okay. if, you, if you're shooting raw, it, it's it's Fix not a big post. deal. It's fixable. Uh, if that's you're my JPEG, answer. Yeah. <laughs> if you're shooting JPEG, that's another problem. You do want to get the white balance correct, but you can always white balance against the snow, generally. Right, because you have something to yeah something white, white to, to pick right. off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but exposure wise, uh, yes, the meters on the cameras are are pretty stupid and. It's going to look at anything with a lot of white and a lot of reflective light as something that is the, the, the camera's going to say, well, that's too bright, so I'm going to have to try to lower the exposure. And if you let the camera do that automatically, it tends to make, like you said, the, the snow gray. So the two things you can do, uh, A, is shoot in manual, which we like to Recurring talk about. theme of today's show. <laughs> yes. Uh, or use the exposure compensation um, dial on your camera. Most cameras, I think, if not all cameras, short of uh, point and shoots or iPhones. Although I think iPhones have them. No, but I think now not, with with the modern apps, you can actually bias the the meter as well. Yeah, it's not a real true 
exposure compensation, but let's let's just say with camera cameras, uh, you have the ability to override the meter um, plus or minus two or three stops uh, from your base exposure. So if your camera is saying, well, I got all this snow and it's I, I got to let less light into the camera, you can say, no, I actually want a little bit more light. And so you would tell the camera to overexpose, even though it doesn't want to. You override it. So you basically you put the zero point somewhere else. Exactly. So in a case of snow, depending on the day, if it's a sunny day, you might want to – if it's a sunny day, then the snow is reflecting a lot of light. And your camera is probably saying it's very bright and I want to darken it. So you might tend to uh, open up the exposure by sometimes two, maybe three stops depending on the intensity of the sun. If it's an overcast day, you might want to overexpose – by one stop or between one and two stops again it you know these are just general starting points uh because we have digital so you can take a picture of it and you can you can look at the back of your camera and you can see and another way to to double check is most cameras have a histogram uh, uh available when you look at when you view your pictures um maybe we can talk about that at some later point for more detail but uh a histogram is a great way to tell if you are overexposing a, a shot of snow. Um, yeah, because while if you leave the camera to it, the great danger is gray snow. If you take control, the great danger is that you blow the crap out of it. Right, right. And so, so you kind of want to, yeah, sorry. Again, you, you just want to um, use the camera's meter as sort of a base, but you're, you're going to tend to want to override it. So if I'm going to use my exposure compensation, it's a snowy day relatively bright, um, I'm going to tell exposure compensation plus two, plus three, something like that. Is that, am I going the right direction? Okay. Yeah. And if your camera has the great feature where you can make overexposed things flash, like little blinkies, that's very useful in snow to see when you're overdoing it. Because if you blow it out, if you blow it out, you can't get it back. So you want to get it as bright as you can, only not blow it out. Well, if you're shooting raw, you can blow it out a little bit. Because yes. that blinky thing on the back is actually not showing you what the RAW is capturing. It's showing you what a JPEG is capturing. And a JPEG has a lot less dynamic range than a RAW file. So it's actually kind of a conservative view of, of your exposure. So if you go just to the edge of the blinkies, if you just start bringing them in, you're probably about where you want to be. Well, I tend to find that it's safe on my camera. This will vary from camera to camera, so you get to know your own camera. But on my camera, I am safe to go to the last place where there's no blinkies and then brighten by three clicks, which is one stop. Okay. Do you get, do you get blinkies on the screen after you do that? Yeah, oh, absolutely. So, right. you know, you, so then, yeah, you get the last place with no blinkies, and then go one stop brighter, and then you know you can recover them. But they'll be blinking, but you know, right. you know, they're not blinking too much. Again, we should restate that if you're if you're you, this is what if you're shooting raw. Yes, absolutely. If you're shooting JPEG and you see blinkies, you've gone too far. Yeah, the data is gone. The data is gone. So you'll want to pull back from the blinkies. <laughs> Yeah, it's the technical term. I can't believe I'm saying yeah, this. It's a fancy mind. technical word. But we're, <laughs> the I'm happy with blinkies. Not every camera has blinkies, so uh, True. Um, you you could if they don't have blinkies, they'll have a histogram. And again, <laughs> the histogram will if that it looks like the histogram looks like a little um, chart. Um, What's a graph? Like a, of a graph on the back, and if the graph is pushed too far over to the right side, 
And in fact, if the little peaks on the graph are actually abutting the right side, then you've essentially hit the blinkies. And so you want to pull back that graph a little bit so you change your exposure down a little bit. Um, but um, blinkies is probably a good way to, you know, hopefully your camera has blinkies. I, I don't think I could take photographs on the camera without blinkies. Not because of snow, because we have precious little of that, but because of white fluffy clouds, which we have a lot of. Mm. When it's not raining. Same concept. Same concept. And I would actually very, very, very strongly advise against shooting JPEG in snow. Because if the exposure doesn't get you, the white balance probably will. I was just going to say the same thing. that uh, the, the other problem, the blue snow, uh, the, the solution to that is shoot raw. <laughs> yeah, and then in post, you take the little eyedropper, you put it on some snow, and you're finished. Well, you're talking about taking pictures of snow with sunlight in maybe, I'm assuming. Well, because don't you always want the snow white even if it's not? No, no because I, I have a shot, which I could post in the show notes, oh, that please. I have of a snow scene. Uh, it's a street scene, and it's shot, and it's overcast, and I've actually let it go run a little bit towards the blue because it feels... If I went with a neutral color, it would be a very gray bland image and so i let the white balance run a little cool so that the snow and the surrounding houses and trees and even the sky have a blue slightly blue cast to it and that feels more wintry to me well and i would agree with that i mean i i think that but i tell knowing why it's doing that is it, it lets us be creative because i would agree with you there's you can take some really beautiful winter shots with snow let it go to the blue and get a really nice effect but the flip side and i think you kind of mentioned it antonio if you have a if you have a nice blue sky with some fluffy clouds mm-hmm. and snow snow hanging on the green trees uh like like we sometimes get here on our on our evergreen trees then then you want your snow to turn white you want to get all those colors you want to get the blues and the greens and the whites correct so then you you're going to do that I do it by going into raw and making sure that it's right. But <laughs> but knowing why it's doing that and how to balance for it one way or the other lets you be creative. So and uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I was a bit flippant there, saying you just drop it in the snow and you're done. That's not really true because that's when the artistic side begins. Because the other thing you can do that I think is great fun is so you just said it there, Antonio, that if you go blue, it becomes colder, winterier. Yeah, colder, really. Um, yeah, but you can also go the other way. And I sort of call them fire and ice shots, where you intentionally warm it up and you can have, especially if it's sunset, if it's that sort of time when the snow happens to be there, you can have great fun. I think probably my single favorite snow photograph ever, I just popped into the show notes. And um, I actually sold this one for use on Christmas cards this year. Um, Is sunset when it just happens to have snowed and one of those few times where it snowed here. And... um, so in this case, I let it go a little yellow to give it a slight warmth. But in reality, actually, when I was taking that photograph, there was a mixed white balance situation. So I wanted the sky to have its nice yellow, but the ground had gone a nasty blue, which felt wrong. The, the blue snow felt wrong against the warm sky. So I actually dropped an eyedropper of the color tool and aperture onto the snow and desaturated the blue only on the ground and left the blue in the sky. Hmm. And that way, because you, your eye doesn't see that blue cast, but the photograph will. And so if you can take out a color cast 
by using the colour tool and painting it into where you want to suck it out. So as soon as I dropped the dropper on the snow, it picked up blue. Desaturate the blue to about minus 50. Don't, go to, don't be tempted to go to zero because then it looks fake. Mm-hmm. And then just paint it on and then you get back to what your eye saw, which was that the snow looked whitish. Hmm. A favorite shot I like to take, and I don't think I've got any samples, so I'll look to see if I can put them in show notes, but uh, is shooting a snowy scene of a house at dusk or just after dusk is, especially with the lights of the house being on, Mm -hmm. and this can be a post-processing thing as well where I want the snow to go bluish and... You know, the darkness of the scene of the outside, so the trees or whatever, to go dark and the sky is kind of blue and the the lights in the house are a golden warmth. Ah. So you have this you have this contrasting colors that happen because uh, the blue and the and the ar- the blue of the, the scene and the orange of the lights contrast nicely. Um, That's sort of the and, home sweet home feeling. Yeah. And um I might not have a snow shot. I might just have a regular shot that I can post, but I'll look for for that cool. for that scene. But to me, that it, that's hard to actually shoot at once because you've got two different color balances. You have the color balance of the of the house lights, and you've got the the outdoors. Hmm. Um, and if you balance for the outdoors, that will be neutral, but the house will be um, too orange and and. And, and whatever, so that might be one of the kind of things you want to do in post processing. It's it's adding again. It's you know it may not be what the original scene looks like, but it's the feeling yes. that you're going for. This feeling of a warm little hearthy house homestead in this cold blue, you know, winter wonderland kind of scene. And, I mean, you know, this show isn't about journalistic photography. This is about photography <laughs> as an art. So this is very much not cheating. This is very much actually the game. Yes. Um, just, I'm sort of imagining how I would try to do that in post. So you you go out and you take one shot in RAW, is it? So that you have all the data? Yeah, one shot in RAW. This is very, it's actually very easy to do with, with okay, a single and shot. And then you bring it into your editing app of choice and process it once for the house, once for outside, and then use layer masks to blend them or... If you're using if you're using Photoshop or a, a, an app that has layering, yes, you could do that. You you post you do one processing with a white balance that is bluish, and for the outdoors, and then another version for the windows, the the scene, and then you blend those together. If you're doing it in Lightroom, you have the ability to because Lightroom doesn't work with layers, but you can um, you can uh, specifically paint different white balances into a picture. So you might process the entire picture with a blue white balance. And then where the window is paint in, uh, an indoor white balance, just where that window is. Um, so that doesn't include layers. Uh, and it might be a little bit more flexible to do this kind of thing in, in, in Lightroom because you can do a lot of different painting and it's affecting the raw file. Not, uh, you're not having to work with, uh, with a, with a TIFF, but, Anyway, either way will work fine. I mean, cool. Well, I just thought we should explain that for listeners. Yeah, yeah. Um, any anything else on on the the snow front? Well, you know, there's a couple of practical things I want to throw in there, just because these are the things I've come up with experience wise. But first of all, you know, one of the best times to go and shoot snow is right after it snows. There's nobody out. 
Mm. You know, put on those big boots. Um, make sure you dress really, really warm and are waterproof because you'll end up walking around in the snow and you're saying, this is great, this is great. And you don't know that you're running – like you can't feel your legs anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so dress appropriately because it, it's just one of those things. But I love to go out once it finishes snowing. Even though I like to go out when it's snowing, but you know, I don't like getting Careful. my camera – yeah, I don't like getting my camera wet and stuff like that. And plus to me, the, the beauty is, is when it's done. Um, so – you know, make sure you like you know snow pants. Just dress so that you don't you're not freezing to death. You know, hand warmers are great for this um, kind of thing. Make sure your your camera's protected. But one of the things I do want to recommend is that when you're outdoors shooting for a very long time, and you come indoors, you run the risk of getting condensation on your camera. Yes. So that is bad because um, your camera gets so used to the outside temperature that when you walk inside, especially if the place that you're walking inside has a lot of humidity, you can get condensation, and the worst place to get it is on the inside of your lens because you'll never go away, and your lenses and your camera can essentially be ruined. So the way to avoid that is that before you come into a warm place, and that's even if you're going to a coffee shop to take a break, make sure you stick your cameras back into the bag. Put the lens caps on, put them back in the bag, close up your bag as tight as possible because what's going to happen is your bag is going to be the same outdoor temperature, but the transition for the camera will be much more gradual while it's in your bag rather than a violent transition when you walk in with your camera just exposed to the environment. So make sure you just stick that camera in a bag. And so, so the bag is insulating your camera so it gets to come to temperature. Exactly. Um, because again, I've had that happen to a lens a long time ago. I learned, uh, and I never want to have that happen again. And um, if actually, one of if you know, I'd say do go out while it is snowing. But you know, stand under things. Doorways are great. Um, so I, I just have one shot. I just wanted to actually just throw into the show notes. Um, when I said that when it starts to snow, I sprint for my camera. I really wasn't joking. I was actually <laughs> taken under the porch where I was sheltering, um, and. This, this is sort of the main square in the seminary part of the university I work in. And there was one brave priest who conveniently wore the single best color to contrast with snow, which is black, <laughs> which is obviously their uniform. And he was the second person into the snow. So his footprints are fresh. And you can watch him vanish off into the distance under his little umbrella. Yeah. Nice shot. Yeah. I like that. I, and the umbrella, he even gave you the black and white contrast. I know. It was very nice of the Catholic <laughs> Church to choose that color. <laughs> Well, yeah, so I would say, it's, you know, if, especially if you live in a country where snow doesn't happen often, just go, you know, shelter somewhere, keep your camera safe, but go because opportunities are so limited. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I, hope, we, I hope we get snow this year because I like photographing in the snow. Yeah, I'm, I'm one of those weird people around here. Everyone in Ireland is like, no, don't snow, don't snow, it's terrible. Think about the roads. And I'm like, I don't care, I have a bicycle and I want pictures. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing I, I wanted to say about I had a shot of a Christmas tree that mm -hmm. I wanted to talk about quickly, but it was just like, you know, don't be afraid to use a long exposure and move the camera. I took a Ooh. great shot of a tree. I think I did with my, I might have done it with my iPhone with a long exposure app. I can't remember for sure. I'll have to look at the XF data. But basically, I did a long exposure, pointed at the tree, and I just sort of spun the camera around very slightly. And the effect that it gave me was that it spun all the lights. It made little extra big circles of light. But it, it, I still kept the shape of the tree in oh, the cool. picture because I wasn't moving the camera too much. 
Right. So because the exposure was long, it, it maintained that triangular shape of the tree, and the lights all made these little circles. And I was like, you know, when I took that shot, I, never, I don't do long exposures that often. When I took it, I was really satisfied with it because it was a an abstract version of a Christmas tree. You know, you if can you, still see. You just give me an idea there, Antonio. Oh, good. <laughs> if you want to mess? If you want to have the most psychedelic Christmas shot ever, right? You stand your family in, near the Christmas tree, right? You turn on your flash to either front or rear curtain sync, whichever you like. I don't think it'll matter. Ah, Do a long exposure going. shot, wiggle the camera about, and when the flash fires, you'll get your sharp friends and family in folk, you know, sharp exposed yeah, ones, yeah. and the tree will do the effect you just described and wobble all over the place. Yeah. Got to try that now. I need some victims. <laughs> and and my notes, I, I wrote exactly what uh, Antonio was referring to, but my notes I wrote focus is overrated. Uh, <laughs> nice. Yeah, yes. Uh, I, it, you can really get some fun image. I mean, take advantage of the glowing lights and go out of focus a little bit and, and you can get some really pretty effects and, and beautiful effects. And actually... This ha- doesn't have anything to do with photography, but it does. I, uh, okay. went, I went and had my eyes examined uh, yesterday. Hey, me and, too. And, and, <laughs> was, and had, my, had my eyes dilated and was driving home. My wife was driving us home, and it was evening, and we went through this patch where there was a whole bunch of Christmas lights on, on people's houses. And I'm like, man, these lights are just beautiful. And I realized what was happening was they were all we, – I was getting this – great starburst effect because my my pupils were dilated and wide open <laughs> like like the wide open aperture getting a star effect on a sun or something and and it made me think about uh photographing that way opening up the aperture and, and getting the star effect on on lights and stuff because I, but, it, but it was very surreal for me because everything looked just gorgeous <laughs> i i thought you got the star effect when you close the aperture down though well i don't close open i a big number. I always get open and closed mixed up. I'm sorry. You caught me. Actually, uh, you, you've just yeah. given me another another thing actually I did want to throw in. Um, because Christmas trees are actually superbly cool subjects to play with just about any post-processing technique on. Because I don't, there's something about all the colors going on, the different bokehs you have going on. There's not very many uses I have found for for these kind of plugins that turn point sources of light into stars, like topaz star effects, but I'm sure there's many more. But a Christmas tree has got to be one of the perfect ones. And I think, Mark, you, did you do that on some of your ones, or am I imagining that? Um, you're probably imagining that. I'm mixing you up with someone else <laughs> in my Flickr stream. I'm sorry. So, yeah. Someone someone this week shared some beautiful pictures of Christmas trees with topaz star effects that turn all of those little point sources of light into colorful stars. Hmm. Can could I just suggest that you do it sparingly? Well, surely if there's one time in the year you can get away with a bit of no, no, you do it one time or like you know if you take ten shots of a Christmas tree, just don't process every single shot of a Christmas tree with with that okay. effect. And uh, yeah, it's only because I think I like effects and I have a lot of the plugins and I think just like um, I don't know how to say this like. Uh, when you're making a dinner, you don't want to overspice it too much, and you don't want to you don't want to have every meal, every dish that you're serving for a meal, the appetizers and the desserts have too much spice in them, because then you just sort of say, well, great, you know, it's either too spicy, or it, you just get numb to it, and so this idea of sprinkling a little sprinkling a little spice here and there so that it accents, because like, you know, if you're going to do a whole collection of shots from Christmas, you know, if every shot has that. 
star right. effect or whatever effect that you're talking about. It's slow. I mean, it could be even the slow shutter speed I was talking about. Well, I was going to say everything, right? The Orton effect, the star effect. The, yeah. Everything. Too much just, is too much. Yeah. Just just do it a little slightly in uncertain pictures, you know, and, and let the rest go, you know, as they were. Um, so the and, whole meal, the whole bouquet that is your entire Christmas collection shouldn't all look the same. So. Yes. I was trying to see if I can get a metaphor. So your mulled wine shouldn't taste only of orange. <laughs> yes, and and I think you'll be happier, and then people who are viewing your pictures will be able to appreciate them, you know. And then they'll see that one shot where you did the effect, and I think it'll be uh, it will stand out more. Yes, of course, yeah, because then it will be a jewel, and you know it'll yeah. be special. Whereas if you do it to everything, it's not special anymore. Yeah. It's just oh look, someone found the new plugin they like. Yeah, but I can say that of any effect, you know. Yeah. You know, eight, every, and I'm not going to bring up the arguments about HDR because I have feelings about it and I use it, but, you know, every, some people, every shot, they, they shoot HDR, HDR, HDR. And I'm like, you know, enough already. You know, it's like, gets me, it's like listening to too much Led Zeppelin when I was a kid. It's like everybody else played Led Zeppelin. I couldn't listen. Once I got out of junior high school, I couldn't listen to Led Zeppelin anymore because. I heard it four million times. It took me ten years to get back into them. So anyway, sorry. <laughs> no, but it's a great time of year to try those kinds of things and if uh, to be creative. Oh, yeah. And I mean, there's so many lights and reflections and colors, and it's just it's such a fun time to experiment and try some of these weird things or different things. Yeah, definitely. I agree. And any last words of wisdom we want to throw in, or just advise everyone to have fun. I think that's it. Yeah. Okay. Well, have fun. Experiment. Shoot lots of stuff. It's also conveniently a time when many of us have the joy of having time off work. So not only is mm-hmm. there a lot to experiment on, there's also a lot of time to do the experimenting with, if we're lucky. So maximize. Anyway, yeah. folks, thank you very much for um, dedicating some time to this show in the middle of the silly season. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me back on. Yeah, pleasure yeah thank always. you. Yeah, um, that's good. Before we do the introductions, just um, just to say um, thank you very much to all of our listeners who support the show on Patreon and by clicking the PayPal button. If you don't yet, and you would perhaps like to, the uh, the aim of the exercise is to break even rather than to turn this into any sort of living. I'm uh, so far away from breaking even, let alone turning it into a living. Um, but if you'd like to help out, you'll find the links over on the show website at lets-talk.ie, and you will also find over there show notes, which in this case... There's usually a little bit in the show notes, but today I'm seeing an awful lot of links here for me to add into the show notes. So they're going to be very busy show notes with lots of pictures for you guys to enjoy. Um, also, all of you listeners out there, I hope you have a fantastic uh, Christmas season, whether you celebrate Christmas or something else or nothing at all. You know, it's, it's still the winter solstice. It's still a time for eating too much, having fun, and not doing too much work. So I hope you all have a great time. And... Uh, well, we'll talk to you all next year, I guess. Um, guys, do you want to give some links before we wrap up? Uh, let me see. Mark, do you want to go first? Sure. Um, my uh, uh, work you can find at TwinLakesImages.com, and uh, I can be found on uh, Twitter and as SwitcherMark, and also uh, my Flickr account. I, like I mentioned here, we I put up an album of some of these pictures that we're talking about, and... I believe you can find me as Switcher Mark or Mark Pauly, P-O-U-L-E-Y. And also wish all of you guys and our listeners happy holidays as well. 
Antonio? Hey, thanks for having me, Bart. Um, Pleasure. And it's been a real honor to be with you for a lot of the uh, shows you've done. So. Well, I'm delighted you keep saying yes. <laughs> My biggest fear is I'll try to do a panel show and it'll be me. <laughs> I, I really appreciate it. So, um, You can find me uh, and my partner Tom, who sometimes is on the show, at uh, switchtomanual.com, where we like to teach people how to use the manual controls on their very expensive cameras. Um, we also, uh, you know, um, inspired by you and, and Allison, uh, we started our own podcast, too, called Street Shots. So I'd like to plug that. Tom and I, you know, talk, we chat for about 20, 25 minutes about photography. Not so much technique, but sort of like trying to give you, um, our listeners, hints on how we deal with photography. So... I have to say I'm very much enjoying your show because you have a very good rapport together. I mean, it's it's obvious that you guys know each other long before you started podcasting together, and it it, it it's a very fun way to learn. So keep oh, it up. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at amrosario, and my website is amrosario.com, and I'm also on Flickr at amrosario and Instagram on amrosario. So I'm not, I'm not hard to find. Um, I post a lot of pictures, like to share, lots of knowledge. So switch to manual and amrosario. And and happy holidays to everybody. Happy New Year. Uh, hopefully 2015 will be a real successful one for everybody. Indeed. I can't believe it's 2015 already. I remember when 2000 was the future. <laughs> anyway. We, li- we live in the future. We, live, we do live in the future. We, we're past the future. We're hyper-future. So isn't, isn't it uh, the uh, Back to the Future, the movie, aren't we coming up on or just past the time when Marty McFly landed in the future? I believe it's 2015, actually. Yeah. So I want my flying oh, skateboard. <laughs> <laughs> I have my computer in my pocket, and we're very close to having our Magic Dick Tracy watches, so we're getting there. I want my DeLorean. That's true. <laughs> anyway, actually, folks. There's a DeLorean in a, in a parking lot a couple blocks away. It's, uh, I was going to say it's an Irish success story, the DeLorean, but that's not strictly speaking true. <laughs> Because it didn't end well, but they are very cool cars. (laughs) And they are Irish. Uh, Anyway, folks, thank you very much. Um, I've been your host, Bart Bouchot. You can find me at bartb.ie. And until next time, happy snapping. Eat too much, drink too much. Have a great time. Bye-bye. Listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Hello, people. My name is Peter Bird, and I am the host of the Deep Look podcast. The idea behind the show is that we talk to our guests and we learn more about them, the subjects, the people, the things that shape their lives, or the things they're interested in, or the things they would possibly want to know more about. Basically, we just like to look a little deeper and see what's there and to learn. If that appeals to you, or you like that idea, or if even if you have a guest that you think we should try and speak to, then come on by and give us a go. We are part of the Stoplight Network.